Welcome to Singled In, a gathering place for single members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in their 30s and 40s, also known as mid-singles. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Oliver. And on tonight's episode, we're going to talk about different types of trauma, specifically religious trauma. Ooh-hoo. And, yeah, right? So buckle in, everyone. It's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> and our guest... <laughs> Yes, you see. (laughs) The laugh to hide the, you know, the tears. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Anyway, our guest speaker today is our good friend, Edgar. Edgar, thank you for, this was actually a topic that you brought up. So A, thank you for being a speaker for this episode. And B, thank you for giving us this topic. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a good one. I'm excited for sure. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Um, I've actually been just joking around with Oliver for a long time, saying, hey, you should feature me in your podcast. And then he finally said, okay, what do you want to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am. We're going to talk about a kind of a heavy topic, and it's good. Yeah, it's, it's going to be good. good. Yeah. And hopefully we can make light of it, because we're already kind of giggling, and hopefully we can have a good time with it. But <laughs> we will. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully it'll be like informative to people, mm-hmm. just create more understanding and build bridges or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but also, yeah. I, I have the, sorry to interrupt, but I have the hope that this will also bring a lot of sympathy and empathy into others that have been in similar situations as well. Yes. Yeah. This is something that, I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist, Uh huh. but this is something that has to, should have more light shine upon it because it's something mm-hmm. that we can all collectively feel. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I've seen a few things on it, but not a lot, so we could have more conversations. Definitely. I was thinking about how Edgar is not technically a mid-single because he's in his 20s still, <laughs> which is great because we want to like build those bridges. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is like definitely a target audience is those who are like coming up on their 30s and mm-hmm. trying to figure that out. You know, mm-hmm. 30s can be scary. <laughs> yeah, and Edgar but, and I were talking earlier, even though like there is that age difference between us, there are, we do have similar Dramas. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, so there's that. Even if, you know, if one thing in common is, you know, shared trauma for sure. Yeah, I also feel like the mid-singles ward is a unique place because it's like the people who have made it that far. I don't know. I just feel like it's kind of like not a weeding process. I don't want to say this wrong. But like there's like plenty of people who like haven't stuck it out and like for good reasons. You know what I mean? In terms of like church. Mm-hmm. It's just been like hard and by the time you're in your thirties you're like kinda of burnt out from some of the stuff you're putting up with, especially if you're like a gay member of the church or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so by the time we're mid singles, like we're not necessarily catching everyone who's like engaging with or has engaged with the church. You know what I mean? Like it's just like those who didn't have to deal with a lot and <laughs> are doing fine or I don't know. Oh. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah, you know, even me going to singles ward, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't really go to church as often as I used to. But going to the singles ward, there's definitely an imbalance. Most of the people that go are early 20s versus when you get to the upper 20s. So I'm 29 right now. Yeah. The numbers get less and less and less. Uh-huh. So like you said, it is kind of a, not not necessarily a weeding out process, but people do have their valid reasons for leaving. Mm-hmm. And there's maybe, a lot of drop off. Yeah. There's a lot of drop off, but also something that maybe we could start the conversation as to why, why? people leave. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Why is it uncomfortable for people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why does it get hard? Yeah. So before we get started, should we get our should we do our get to know you question? Yes. Alright, awesome. So we <laughs> So before we started recording, we talked about, you know, different get to know you questions and the one that we settled on is misheard song lyrics. Yes. So good always. <laughs> And of course, like when you're put on the spot, you can't recall the song that you misheard, but we do have stories of 
people who have told us <laughs> yeah. their um, misheard song lyrics. I feel like you're going to wake up in the middle of the night tonight, like 2 a.m., and be like, oh, that was mine. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a story now. Yeah, we'll edit it in for sure. Mine, um, I always thought the song, American Woman, you know that one? Yeah. Um, I never knew what he was saying. I didn't really understand it. I thought maybe he was saying, a man-eating woman. So that was mine. <laughs> I have a friend who, okay, so Sean Mendes, his song Stitches. Yeah. There's that line where he goes, um, you watch me bleed until I can't breathe. Oh, yeah, that one doesn't make sense to me my knees. Yeah. <laughs> she misheard it, and for a second she thought that he was saying, Chicken farted onto my knees. Nuh-uh. <laughs> and she told me about it, and I was like, what? <laughs> what's so, the original, or what's the real one? It's uh, shaking, falling onto my knees. Yeah, I never and, knew what they were saying right? there. And yeah. she thought he was saying chicken farted onto my knees. And yeah. So every time I hear that, I hear the misheard <laughs> lyric, and it makes me laugh. My brother's a musician, and he would say that's bad songwriting. Like, they they didn't, like, match up the lyrics with, like, the like the cadence of the song or whatever gotcha. <laughs> yeah. yeah but i know it can't be avoided all the time what about you edgar oh so let's go to the greatest song of all time love story by taylor swift yeah <laughs> so when she says romeo take me somewhere we can be alone for the longest time i thought she said julio take me somewhere we can be alone i was like who's julio this doesn't make any sense and it was like that for years until i finally looked up the lyrics and i was like oh she's saying romeo but she's saying it weird yeah she has a lot she has a lot of those julio was the forgotten boyfriend i bet yeah she's just like you know there's some trauma there obviously and (laughs) do you want to hear my claim to fame yes please so at a job i had in provo utah of all places it was like a call center or something terrible i quit within two months (laughs) but i worked with a guy who he knew taylor swift growing up he was the subject of like her first big hit Oh. You know the teardrops on my guitar? Oh, Drew. Yeah, it was Drew. I worked with Drew. <laughs> you worked with Drew. Yeah, and we like confirmed it. Like we like did all this online research and we're like, oh. there's like pictures. Yeah. Are you still friends with Drew? No, it was like very much like a casual work acquaintance. He was like married. He was surely, a cool guy. He was like really nice. Surely yeah. he's on Facebook. You need to. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't want to. But, but you know, but that's like Taylor's like first song. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Like dozens now about different guys. Yeah. So like he probably. Yeah, it's like not a big. Yeah. Not, not for him, but not I a big been deal. Like, that came out when I was in high school. Uh huh. I totally remember that song. Yeah, wow. I was. It was right after my mission, actually. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. But I was working at Justice, which is like a little girls' clothing store yeah. over the summer, and I, that song played all the time. So Beautiful. yeah, memories. What about you, Edgar? Where were you? <laughs> oh gosh, I think that was probably. What year was that? Oh, I can't even, like even tell you. 2006, 2007? Okay, I'm thinking like 2009, so it was probably just still playing on the radio. Maybe. So I was in yeah. middle school, went into high school. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> trauma. <laughs> trauma. Age We're trauma, all age trauma. <laughs> I'm experiencing age trauma right now. No, just kidding. Oh my gosh, I totally want to do an episode on aging and how it's like kind of tough as a mid-single. Mm. Do you guys, I mean, guys like age pretty gracefully, but women like... Oh, I have I have gray hair in my beard, and yeah. sometimes I'm like, oh no, I don't see any. Oh well. Anyway. Yeah, you're very youthful. <laughs> Thank you, Edgar. <laughs> and Lindsay. But yeah, it's kind of like scary because then it's like, oh, what if I find my person and I'm not like in my prime or something? Mm-hmm. No, that would be great because you know, in Utah, Utah has the highest rate of 
Botox and plastic surgery in the That's country. That's true. Yeah. Shocker. So relating it back to church and how yeah. like, the culture is there, maybe that would be that would be a good, a good thing. Yeah. Oh All yeah. Right. Utah and Korea, South Korea. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. I think so. Okay, Edgar. Before we dive into this, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes. All right. So my name is Edgar. I'm from Las Vegas, Nevada. Woo. Um, raised here. Born in Mexico, actually. So no I'm way. An immigrant. Yeah. Que parte? San Luis Potosí. I don't know where that is. Nobody <laughs> ever knows, but it's a, my place, in my opinion, it's like one of the best cities in the world because my yeah. family's there. Oh, cool. Um, moved here when I was eight. Like I said, grew up in Vegas, graduated from high school here in Vegas. So I tell people that are from Vegas that I'm a product of CCSD. Yeah, Clark buddy. County School District. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, Same Z's. And I work for the district, that. yeah. Yeah. And after that, I went to BYU. I did BYU for a year as a chemical engineer then i went on my mission to new york city finished that out came back to i finished my my degree at byu again i finished out in chemical engineering and then after that i went to oregon for three years worked as a process engineer there and i love oregon Mm -hmm. and oliver will tell you that i will talk for oregon about oregon for hours oh he misses it dearly yeah every single day because now i'm living in arizona I decided to do a career change, and I'm going to be a pilot. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the career change? What prompted that? Yeah. So something that actually happened was, ever since I can remember, I've always wanted to be a pilot. Hmm. Like, And it's one of those things like, oh, even as a, like a two-year-old, I would look up at planes. And when I got to BYU, I was on this path to be a chemical engineer. It's a really, really good path. Yeah. And then, but constantly, even though I was doing really good in school, I would look back and see ads of flight schools on the internet. And I would remember I would go to like the local airport and try to figure out how I could do that, but I could never afford it. So I finished out my degree. I went to Oregon and then I remember I liked my job, but my boss made my life hell on earth. Yeah. And I said, I don't want to be here as much as I got a new boss and I got a lot better, Uh but that he planted that seed of I don't want to be here so yeah COVID hit and then the airline industry went down and I was trying to come back to Vegas to see my family but my dad he's a little bit older he told me like right before my flight he said don't come son it's we don't know if it's safe or not uh that, shoot and that destroyed me because I'm like I haven't seen my family uh in yeah. a long time I've been stuck in Oregon and Oregon shut down really hard mm. yeah so like that day I drove myself to a little airstrip that was down the street from my house um Met my first flight instructor and started flying. I got my private pilot's license in about five months. Cool. And then I realized there, I'm like, I want to make this a career. So I started saving up. And then I got accepted into the United Airlines Aviate Academy down in Goodyear, Arizona. Okay. Which is like really hard to get into apparently, but I got in. Good for you, yeah. Thank you. It (laughs) It was not expected. And then I got a huge... I got a huge scholarship from um, from an organization, and then that's how I ended up in Arizona. Mm. Okay. So I'm a commercial-rated pilot now. I'm taking my commercial, uh, certified flight instructor check right next week. Hopefully, I'll pass that, and then it's yeah. w- working up to the airlines. Amazing. Yeah, so you're almost done, it sounds like. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. That's incredible. I love it. That's probably the way, I mean, if you're going to take that path, that might be the way to do it, like work, save up a little bit because it's expensive to get your private mm-hmm. pilot's license, right? Yes. Yeah. Is. So that's cool. You got like some. It's expensive to fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fun though. It's very, very fun. If you yeah. ever want to fly, let me know. 
I love it. <laughs> Not yeah. in this weather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice sunny weather, yes. Yeah. I love that the pandemic kind of shook things up. Well, having a crappy boss and then the pandemic kind of shook things up for you enough to be like, okay, like mm-hmm. anything goes now. I don't have to follow the rules, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, I don't have to like stay with this prescribed path just because that's what I've been doing. Exactly. So, yeah, I think we could all use a little bit more of that in our lives. So good for you. Thank love you. It. Thank you. Cool. I'm excited to chat about this topic, religious trauma. Yes. I've heard the term a few times. I think other podcasts have addressed it, but I think it'd be good to talk about in the context of being singles in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Singles. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. let's dive in. Let's do it. Um, so I looked it up on the internet. What is religious trauma? And the definition they have on here uh, is religious trauma occurs when a person's religious experience is stressful, degrading, dangerous, abusive, or damaging. Traumatic religious experiences may harm or threaten to harm someone's physical, emotional, mental, sexual, or spiritual health and safety. And we've actually talked about all those before we started recording, so I'm curious... Or I'm kind of excited to like talk about those now as we yeah. do this episode. Yeah, I want to hear what you guys talked about. Yeah. And not to say that, so being a lifelong member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I still like very much love the religion. Yeah, um, it's so complicated sometimes. It is. It is. This is going to be not, it's going to be a complicated, maybe a little bit touchy. But yeah, like even in, you know, our religion, there is trauma there. Yeah. Especially for like someone like me, who is a gay member of the church. Yeah, there is definitely trauma there. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. When you like who you are is not accepted. Mm-hmm. Like or, who you are uh, inherently. Yeah. Like how God made you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also, I think it's very. I think something that we should talk about right now before we like going into the subject is realizing that something that happened to somebody uh-huh. might affect that person very differently. Like, if the same thing happened to another person. Yeah. So it's very important to keep an open mind and say, okay, I had this experience that really caused a lot of trauma, and I know this person had a very similar, if not the same experience, and they're not having yeah. the same experience. So it's very important to just say, everybody's experience on this earth is individual. Something that affects somebody may not affect another person in the same way. Mm-hmm. Because it's so easy, especially when we talk about trauma, from what I've seen is... There is so much shaming going on. It's like, oh, do you know, uh-huh. this is not, it's not really big of a deal or stop complaining. But at the end of the day, these are real people with real stories that have challenges to overcome because of something that happened. Mm. So it's just better to just have an open mind and approach mm-hmm. people with an open heart instead of saying, grow up, this is really not that big of a deal. Yeah, that's an important reminder. Like, even if it's something you've personally experienced and you're like, oh, that was, and you have your perception of what that's mm-hmm. like. I think sometimes it's easy to be, if someone tells you about something hard they went through, it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, that's really hard. And you're thinking about your own experience versus like asking them about their experience mm-hmm. with it. So, yeah, I think that's really important mm-hmm. to not. And also to just like validate, validate each other's lived experiences, not like gaslight that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That was beautifully said right there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so in the definition, it mentions um, physical trauma, which... I don't think any of us here have experienced or is that, am I speaking too soon? I No. I've never broken a bone. <laughs> there you go. I will say, I think like probably the emotional trauma is more, rel- more relevant. Or, for this, yeah. Yeah, for this. But 
this is other churches, but it's also our church too, mm-hmm. where there's been like abuse of authority or abuse of leadership. Like definitely that there's those huge scandals in the Catholic mm-hmm. church. And we, oh, our 100%. church has had our own scandals, whether, you know, it's like sexual abuse or some other, like some other leader taking advantage of their position and harming someone who mm-hmm. is helpless or whatnot, or is trusting them. So mm-hmm. that's something to be aware of. Yeah. But it's also whether it's knowingly or unknowingly, uh-huh. a lot of these men in power. Yeah can exercise what I consider to be unrighteous dominion, thinking mm-hmm. that they're doing it under the mantle of the order of God. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Should we talk about that a little bit? Like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, there is, like, sometimes those that power imbalance and mm-hmm. also uh, very little training for, like, ecclesiastical leaders in our church. Yes. And so I know, like, churches making small steps in the right direction. Yeah. But, like, there's still a lot more that can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, even just, like, not leaving bishops in a room alone with a minor. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, do they do that? No, they changed okay. it now, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Recently. They so recently that, just changed that. So that yeah. was something we grew up with. Also, a bishop asking a minor about, like, their sexual activity or, like, things that are, like, wildly inappropriate, honestly, mm-hmm. when you think about it, that were just very normal for us. Yeah. So, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share your oh, yeah. experiences with that? I was talking to Edgar about this on our way here. And because my, my first thought, we were talking about types of trauma and we we're talking about like, oh, yeah, there's like leadership trauma from the church. Uh-huh. And I said to Edgar, like, oh, I don't think I've had like positive experiences with, with like leaders and, and bishops. Yeah. And later, while we were talking and discussing about it, that's when I remembered, no, that's not that's not true. I mm-hmm. have had, you know negative experiences with leadership with Mm -hmm. bishops before and it's just funny how your brain automatically goes into defense mode and then when you talk about it and when you expose it that's when you start remembering you know your those Uh incidents that you had defending the church or defending the leaders or whatever yeah Yeah, because that's like yeah something we said or you said edgar before we started recording about like how we're a little bit conditioned to just like be people pleasers, I guess, mm-hmm. in the church or yes. to defer to authority. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big one, honestly. Um, like even in a past episode, we were talking about trying to help a friend get a handicap restroom in the church or whatever. Mm-hmm. And how it was like Brian, my boyfriend, who's not a member of the church, who was like, hey, this isn't cool. Like, <laughs> can we do something about this? Yes. Whereas I was like, oh, I just figured they were doing their best. Or, you know what I mean? And just yeah. like total trust. Mm-hmm. Whereas I should have been questioning, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. And not all, not only us, mm-hmm. but like members who've been going to that word for years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're all complicit. Yeah. <laughs> but we didn't yes. realize it. It, it could be scary when you're yeah. complicit without even knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not saying, I mean, it's just like, it's fine. Do better. You know? Yeah. <laughs> we can learn from it. But Yeah. Um, Edgar, tell us a little bit about your experience, especially talking about like authority or Ooh, how deep do we want to get? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I will say that I did have a very, very traumatic experience and this is actually, I'm, this is probably the first time that I'm going to ever say it in public. Okay. So this is something that really, really hurt me. But when I was 18, I was 17 or 18, I don't remember what it was. I was sexually assaulted and I carried a lot of shame in that. You know, like I was so ashamed. I I just kept it to myself and then nothing was my fault. Nothing was my fault. And then graduated from high school that summer, went to BYU, got ready for my mission, 
And I was living a normal, happy life. Like, my first year at BYU was the happiest year of my life, to memory. Hmm. I go on my mission, and this feeling of guilt starts at the MTC. Oh, yeah. And at the MTC, I'm, like, called to be a zone leader, even though I was only there for, like, 11 days, (laughs) which is really kind of a joke now that I think about it. But anyway, so then I get on the field, and... I'm sorry, this is kind of a hard subject, but I get on the field and then I start this feeling of just guilt, guilt of like, oh my gosh, you're not worthy to be here. You're not worthy to be here. Oh, shoot. And it was over that experience that I had where I was sexually assaulted. Uh Uh-huh. And so I decided I need to go talk to the mission president. I can't do this. Uh I can't do this. And then I go talk to the mission. Like, Like, I wanted to be a missionary. Like, my entire life, I wanted to be a missionary. This was my... My lifelong goal. And I go talk to the missionary. and Not sorry. I go talk to my mission president. And I pull him aside. I'm like, can I talk to you about something? And so I give him a gist of what happened. Mm-hmm. To which he says, I'm going to have to ask you for more details. Uh-huh. And in a way that opens up that box of having to dig into these memories that I had suppressed for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was scary, having to relive that, telling my mission president. And his response, I remember, was, are you gay? Mm-hmm. And back then, I'm like, no, no, I'm not. But, like, that was just so scary. And that was within, like, the first two months of my mission. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a lot. Because I felt that it was my fault. Yeah. And I had to live with that. And then he's like, at the end, he's like, your sins are forgiven, whatever. Fast forward to, so this was 2013, fast forward to 2020, Uh a friend of mine, a really dear friend of mine opens up about her experience with sexual assault and rape. Uh And I'm telling her, I'm like, can I trust you with this? So then I start telling her about it. Uh And she tells me, and then I keep on telling her, I'm like, but it was my fault. It was my fault. And then that's when she says, Edgar, listen to what you're saying. No. You were assaulted. Yeah. That is what actually happened. Mm-hmm. It's not your fault. Oh my gosh. But for years, because of this experience that I had with my mission president, like of me like saying, I'm sorry. Instead of him like saying, you know what? Let me listen to this. Let me really think about what this is. Uh-huh. And making me feel like it was all my fault. Yeah. Telling me your sins are forgiven. Telling me my, that it was my yeah. fault. Mm-hmm. And that scarred me. And then that's when I it opened up my eyes and... That's only one experience that I've had, but it's it was an experience that, okay, from 2012 to 2020, Yeah, that's a long time. For somebody to say, open up your eyes and see it for what it is, and carrying that for so long. Yeah. But also feeling that torment on my mission that, oh, hey, I'm going to be, I shouldn't be here, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, because you did something that I never did. Yeah. That was scarring, and I think that later on that led to a lot of, anxiety uh-huh. that happened and let's be real like a lot of missionaries we experience a lot of anxiety on our mission yeah. especially like back in the day when we couldn't really talk to our families yeah and i just saw that was my experience with with my mission president mm-hmm. but also i saw so many of my companions like one of my companions actually two of them were actively suicidal on the mission oh and, my gosh uh, yeah. when they were my com- like and like they would go home when because like they would be like at their breaking point 
And my mission president would send a lot of people home. Yeah, because I don't think he knew how to deal with us. Right. It was kind of like, yeah. It was kind of like suck it up and move on. I like, yeah. do the Lord's work. But at the same time, how can we do the Lord's work if we aren't able to understand what is going on with us? And like this, these yeah. stresses of the church, of the church saying, perfect obedience brings blessings. Perfect obedience yes. brings blessings. And then you're trying to be perfectly obedient, but then you have so many things that you're dealing with as an 18, 19, 20-year-old. Mm-hmm. They compound and compound and compound to the point that they break you. Yeah. And that's when you have so many missionaries go uh-huh. home early. Like, I was lucky. I was able to get that that help. Yeah. And I was able to go see a counselor on my mission, and I was able to... Oh, that's good. It was, it was honestly great, but I was uh-huh. one of the lucky ones. Yeah. Yeah. But it got to that point where I remember just breaking down, like just breaking down multiple times on my mission, just mm-hmm. trying to help companions that were struggling with anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. While you're dealing with your own. While I'm dealing with my own. And I remember one of my companions, like he was a, he was at a high and I was at a low and then we would switch back and forth, back and forth. Oh, yeah. You're just trying to like help each other when you can. Help each other when we can. And then yeah. I remember like getting to a point that I just broke. And I, but I also remember asking my mission president for help, saying, please, I think there's something wrong. I think there's something wrong. And he would go back and be like, was it about the thing we talked about? And I would say, no. Mm. I just think there's something wrong with me. Uh, so then finally I talked to a senior missionary couple uh-huh. who they said their son was a psychologist. So then I said, can I talk to your son, please? And they're like, you can't talk to him. But we can pass along the information. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's tricky. So then I pretty much told him everything that I was feeling from like not being able to sleep, not being able to eat. Just this feeling of gloom. But still like feeling like I had to put a, a smile up every uh-huh. single time because that's what we're told. It's like, this is the Lord's work. Be happy. Be joyful. And you're trying your damn hardest every single yeah. day. Yeah, you are. Yeah. But you can't. So then told him this then he called me back like a day later he's like um i talked to my son we're gonna get you help Uh, and then i said okay that's great and he said i also told the mission president and in my mind i feared my mission president throughout my entire mission oh yeah yeah. he's like pretty strict and very strict but also just because of that experience i Uh, felt like he was out to get me or yeah judging Mm -hmm. yeah especially since i had asked for help and he had already sent all these missionaries home so at that moment i'm like oh i'm gonna get sent home Oh, yeah. shoot. So then he calls me, he's, and his voice <laughs> completely changed. He was like, hi, Elder. <laughs> How's it going? I'm like, I'm shaky. I'm like, I'm going to get sent home. Yeah. I'm already packing my bags. It's like, and he said, I'm sorry for not listening to you. Uh-huh. Mm. I'm going to bend over backwards to help you get the help you need. Uh-huh. And he got me the help that I needed. Mm-hmm. But up to that point, I had been made to feel that something that I didn't do was my fault. I had seen my companions go home, and I felt responsible for that. Uh, I don't know if yeah, I said this, but yeah. I had been assaulted at gunpoint. Oh. Uh, I, I had been robbed at gunpoint, yeah. which is another story. It's actually a funny story. On but your like, mission? On my mission, yeah. Oh, my gosh. But, like, all these things happened while I was fearing the authority. Yeah. The authority that's over me. We were just dealing with all the stress. To the point that I broke. Yeah. And I was able to get that help. But that that relationship with my mission president yeah. really damaged the way that I saw church leadership after that. Because what did they always tell us you what did they always tell you? 
this person's called of God. Mm-hmm. This person's called of God. This person's called of God. Yeah. Trust our leadership. Yeah. Trust yeah. your leadership. Yeah, I'm also thinking about like what it led you up to even just like feeling that guilt before you even talked to him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like that messaging on the mission for me was definitely the case was really strong in like the like we were taught in the MTC like 100% obedience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you just start feeling like unworthy because nobody's 100% obedient, nobody's perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I mean, I can't imagine exactly what that would be like, but I can kind of see the patterns that happened for me too in yeah. that. So, yeah. Lindsay, you mentioned earlier about how these men are given these callings and uh-huh. there isn't really a lot of training no, involved. Yeah. I, I, I just I just keep thinking about if only Edgar's mission president had the proper training Absolutely, at yeah. that time, I bet that whole experience for you would have been a lot more mm-hmm. positive. But yeah, we just, the trainings aren't yeah. required. There aren't, I'm sure they're available, but they're not necessarily required. You just kind of like yeah. get called and then you learn the job as you go. Yeah, yeah. Which isn't always helpful for uh-huh. some of these callings, especially like um, the mission president when you're in charge of yeah. teenagers, basically, young adults. Yeah, other clergy from other churches go through like quite a bit of schooling. Mm-hmm. So they, they get help with counseling. I mean... Probably not all churches. There's probably other lay ministers like we have, but yeah. there's plenty that where they do, you know, get like a master's degree. And, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But, I, yeah, that would have made a huge difference, like, if you could have had that, like, eight years earlier, however much earlier, to know, like, this wasn't my fault and, like, I can start healing now versus yeah. carrying it. And yeah. I'll, but also, like, I just want to say that I felt like I was going to be damned. If you said yeah. anything, yeah. If I not not if I said anything, but because I was made to feel, even though you not know, describing what happened in detail, mm-hmm. yeah, having to relive that, and I remember like so awful, yeah. Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to relive to uh-huh. confess in mm-hmm. a way? Why do we have to relive to wipe away our sins? Yeah, when something, but also like I think it's that Mormon guilt in us. Of, mm-hmm. Of if you were doing all the things you were supposed to do, yeah, not like what is it like? Keep the commandments, and you shall prosper in the land. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. There's that prosperity gospel too. The yeah, prosperity, like if you do everything right, not this would. I, and I felt that like, yeah. if I had been doing everything right, I'm gonna tell you, as a high schooler, I was a freaking good Mormon. Not yeah, gonna lie. Yeah, I thought you were. Yeah. <laughs> and this happened to me in high school. Yeah. yeah. As a child. As a child. You were a child still, yeah. <laughs> As a child. And for me going to my leader to be made feel like this was all you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That really makes you feel like you failed God. And you know, as missionaries, we're pretty much taught to be God's chosen servants. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if you're not baptizing, you're failing, you're doing something wrong. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. all the goals too, mm-hmm. that you have, all the metrics you have to meet. It's mm-hmm. a lot. It is. And also feeling like you can't do that because of this one thing. That happened in your past. Yeah. It was, it's a lot. And that's a lot of a things lot. to put on a, such a young person. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so sorry you had to go through yeah, that. Yeah, I, 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 to- I totally agree. I'm sorry that happened to you, Edgar. But I'm glad that your friend, even though it took a number of years, I'm glad that your friend was able to have that conversation with you and to help you recognize, hey, in that situation, that wasn't your fault. Yeah. And I think that's so important like I remember at BYU 
I went to a, a sexual assault workshop mm. hmm. because one of my really good friends had been sexually assaulted mm-hmm. and she told me about it and I said, would you like me to go with you? And I, she said, please come with me. Mm-hmm. And I went there and I remember sitting down and the people from like Utah County and the police department came in mm-hmm. saying, please trust us, please trust us. But it wasn't until the counselors of BYU, I think it's CAPS, that's uh-huh. what it's yeah they have that UNLV too it's like the counseling and whatever and psychological center. services yeah. okay yeah counseling psychological services they came in and somebody asked the question what should we say if somebody comes and tells us about their sexual abuse story uh-huh. and I'll never forget this the counselor said I believe you yeah that speaks volumes instead of saying okay tell me what happened mm-hmm. so I can see if your worthiness or not just yeah like, verify the facts yeah which so many people have to go through in the justice system mm-hmm. for yeah. sure yeah oh, it's so tricky it's a tricky world it's a tricky it world. shouldn't be that tricky though like yeah we should believe people right <laughs> yeah do you feel like um the counseling and help you've gotten more recently has helped you kind of like continue to heal from that or oh yes yes so after i had that conversation with my mission president because, you know, I think it was that confirmation bias that I wanted to hear, mm-hmm. like, reasons I've forgiven. Like, it just went. Pff. Okay. I didn't really feel it that much after that. Like, yeah, it was still in the back of my mind. And sure. I said, like, the next time I brought it up was with my friend. Uh-huh. Nine years later. Yeah. Nine years later. And when I felt like, oh, hey, she says, you're a safe space. Do you mind if I share this with you? That happened so long ago. And when she said, it's not your fault. That's when I was like, why was, in the words of the scriptures, my soul in the deepest abyss or mm-hmm. something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Know? Yeah. Interesting. Because you your soul was in that abyss for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Not because of any of your doing, but because mm-hmm. of the fallen world. The fallen world. Probably. Where we live. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's not easy answers. Ugh, I don't know, but but going back to like what, yeah. what I learned from that, that made me, that, that experience was very, in a way, traumatizing because it made me feel like something that was not my fault. Something very, very, very strong. That's such a sexual assault. Yeah. How many other people in the church have had these talks? Because, you know, we're told if you committed a sexual sin, uh-huh. go talk to your bishop. But sexual assault doesn't necessarily mean sexual sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Yeah. And we ha- we're we told, go to your leaders. Yeah. And our leaders don't know how to handle it. They don't know. Yeah. yeah. That's really not great. Yeah. That's something that... We could, that the church could definitely improve for sure. Yeah, and I think sometimes the church makes improvements, but something I struggle with a little bit in the church is that there's not always like, like apologies or like some sort of like, oh. yeah, repentance process. I guess yeah. I don't know, even like more recent things like you know there's been like some money scandals or whatnot. Yes, very, that just came out recently. Yeah, and it's kind of like brushed off, like oh maybe we made a mistake, but the matter's closed or whatever. You know, yeah, that kind that kind of stuff is hard for me just because we are teaching this gospel of like repentance and forgiveness and, and forgiveness, yeah, turning yeah. the other cheek and yeah, yeah, and like if you were to like go to a friend that you wronged, like. Um, and be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, like, and we want it, the matter to be over really quickly. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be like true forgiveness. Like mm-hmm. you'd want to like sit with them and sit with like their emotions and how they felt about it. And like, you know, take some time to like re-earn their trust or whatever, you know yeah. what I mean? It wouldn't be like a quick process. So yeah. Yeah. And that's hopefully something we can exhibit in our relationships, but yeah, as an institution, that's tricky. 
Yeah. It's it's definitely very tricky, but I feel like it's something that is, if we keep on raising awareness, uh-huh. that's, that's one of the things that I believe that the church can be changed uh-huh. if we put enough pressure in the leadership. Yeah. And that's what we see happen. So if, we, were to, if we keep on pressuring and say, hey, these ecclesiastical leaders that you're making us go to, uh-huh. train them properly. Yeah. Speaking up about that. Speaking up, but... How yeah. do we even start? <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. It feels like scary because there's like a lot of judgment. You see people or you see people get like excommunicated or whatever it's yes. called now, membership withdrawal. But I think like, I don't know. We just do our best. Like in, yeah, I think there is power in just like speaking up, whether it's in a meeting or, you know, one-on-one with somebody, a leader mm-hmm. or somebody else, you know? Yeah. I, um, we have to be advocates. You know what I mean? We have to be advocates for ourselves and we have to be up. Ab- Especially need to be advocates for those who like don't have a voice mm-hmm. for whatever reason. So yeah, and especially yeah. what we mentioned earlier about don't have your those those blinders on where you just accept the person because they received this calling from a higher power. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Take those blinders off. Take those goggles off. Whatever you want to call them, and see the situation for what it is, and see that person for who that person is, and then figure out what needs to change. Yeah, and how do you take the blinders off? That's yeah. my question. Like, how do you develop those critical thinking skills or whatever it is you need to not just... I mean, isn't that that point that you're making? It's so yeah. interesting because when we're reading the Book of Mormon, we're told, think uh-huh. about it. Ask God. Really Study develop that. Crit- exactly. Yeah. But when it comes down to accepting church leadership, it's like, uh-huh. they're called of God. You should be good to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You should be able to trust these men, but that's not always the case. Yeah, study it out, talk it out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It probably takes some practice yeah. to get, like, yeah, yeah no. to develop that awareness. But also something that I've been thinking about this is that sometimes, because, like, going back to the main topic of trauma, uh-huh. is that trauma can happen, but we don't realize that we have it. Yeah. Till years down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where we're, like, invalidating it or... Invalidating it. And I actually... So I actually had an experience this past month where I realized some of the extent of my religious trauma. Uh huh. If you guys would like me to share that, I totally yeah, can. I'd love to yeah, hear like it. yeah, more general. Huh. So when I was so so I was like I'm gay, right? Mm. I and I still I'm I still believe in the church. And when I was at BYU, I tried to be this perfect little Mormon. I remember going on dates, dating some of the most incredible girls that could exist right but yeah there was just that missing part and yeah. you know i dated like the smart girls that were in- i liked engineers because you know i'm an engineer so i'm like i like brains but there was something <laughs> always <laughs> there was something always not happening right so it was a there came a time that i needed to reconcile my my sexuality uh-huh. and my faith yeah because this was what like 2017 and i realized i couldn't really reconcile the two so I sought out others that were like me. Uh-huh. In this process of finding a community, I found pretty much like a lot of my close friends also came out of the closet, which was yeah. great. I had this built-in community of people yeah. that I already trusted. You could support each other. Support yeah. each other. And I remember one of the things is I met uh, at a meeting of USGA, which is the official, unofficial LGBTQ student group of BYU. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. I went to the Christmas party because I tried to get involved, like build that network, find yeah. others that were like me. I remember seeing this tall guy mm-hmm. in the corner, not really talking to anybody. Uh-huh. And I try to be able to, I try to be, you know, in a way, the missionary. And it's like, come, come, you come talk to us. Yeah. We'd love to get to know <laughs> yeah. you. So then he's like, I'm fine. 
I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna be with my friends. Yeah. So you're not if you don't want to stand alone. <laughs> so I so later on he's like, Do you wanna hang out? And in my mind I'm like, okay, weird, I just tried to invite you to hang out with my friends, but I said, Okay. I blew him, <laughs> blew him off a couple of times. Fast forward two months, same guy. Uh-huh. I experienced what it was like to fall in love for the first time. Uh, okay. Just so much love. Like, I can't even describe it. Like, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Butterflies in the stomach. Butterflies in the stomach. And we actually started dating while we were at BYU. Okay. And that was hard. Oh, yeah. That was hard. There were the pressures. I remember, like, we, were, we would be in a car and he would, we, he would hold my hand. Like, I would have to, hand, like, hide our hands under my leg in case... I was paranoid that somebody was going to somehow peek into the car and, like, turn us into the honor code office. Yeah, yeah. because that, that's against the rules to this day at BYU. Yeah, you know? any sort of romantic... Any sort of romantic... Same part. sex room, yeah. Yeah. But not just the Behavior. BYU part. Yeah, I did yeah. fear BYU. I did fear the honor code office. But what I feared most... Well, actually, no. I feared BYU more than I feared God. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say it like that. Okay. But when it came down to fearing... God and the faith that was instilled in me, mm-hmm. it's like, we don't have a place in the celestial kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't. And I remember, like, we would have many of these painful conversations, mm-hmm. both of us crying till 1, 2 in the morning, trying to figure out where we fit into the plan of salvation. And I remember I started I started to go seek counseling. Mm-hmm. At BYU, I was lucky to get in. And I remember, and I was telling my therapist everything that was going on. And I remember one time I told... The guy I was dating, I remember I telling him, if you ever see a girl and you have even the slightest attraction to her, leave me. Aww. Go live a normal life because mm. you deserve to have a normal life. And I was crying. I went to my therapist this. He started crying too. Aww. And that's why you call breaking a therapist. Oh, that's really <laughs> sweet. But this was 2017. And... Forward to fast forward to 2023, February 2023. Uh-huh. In my mind, I got out of BYU, I dealing with the church with no religious trauma. Uh-huh. With no religious trauma. And then I'm at this conference, NGPA conference in Palm Springs, which is National Gay Pilots Association. Oh, cool. Okay. And I'm talking to one of my friends there who's a mom. She's a big ally. She has two queer children. Okay. And I'm telling her, I'm just like, you know, it's just to me here. To me, being here feels weird. And I started unloading. like Because I had just had the best weekend of my life in Palm Springs. Yeah. And I started unloading. And then I break down crying. And then I start just sharing everything about my experience at BYU. Dating and saying, this is the first time in my life that I've been able to really be free. Like, it wasn't until I left BYU when I moved to Oregon where I started discovering my who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Now I'm here in flight school where it's a very free environment. Okay. You're able to, like, get past some of that internalized homophobia and just kind of, like, Be myself. feel free to explore. Yeah. Yeah. But throughout all this, keep in yeah. mind, I I think that I don't have any religious trauma. Mm-hmm. And it's not till I start talking to her. And I tell her the story of when I told my ex, if you see a woman and you have any attraction to her, go. She starts crying. Aww. And I'm like, why are you crying? Did I break you too? <laughs> and she says... If that's not the definition of religious trauma, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. Mm, that makes sense. And then that's what I'm saying. It's like a lot of us have re- have trauma, but we don't realize it because we compartmentalized it till somebody else points it out. 
Mm-hmm. And then that's when I started, so many years later, to deconstruct. To deconstruct and that deconstruction, that undoing, mm-hmm. I know it's going to take a long time. Mm-hmm. But that's why it's so important that we create safe spaces for people to say, you know what? I've had a shared experience or mm-hmm. I don't understand what you're going through, but I can listen. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, we all have collective trauma, whether it be from one thing or another. But as Latter-day Saints, mm-hmm. mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. Yeah. That's what we need to do. And that yeah. means unpacking trauma. Even mm-hmm. if it's uncomfortable to listen to from another person. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times it's like, oh, you know, yeah, you went through this, but it'll be okay, you know? Yeah. Like, trust in the atonement. Yeah, trust in the atonement up to a certain extent. Yeah. But use your community as well. Yeah, it doesn't mean you can't spend time with the grief or the pain. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like that deconstruction you've gone through... I'm sure there have been a lot of painful moments, to, but do you feel like it's got, gotten freer or easier in some ways over time in terms of like, I just know for myself in terms of like some faith deconstruction or what some would call faith expansion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've gone through it like there's like some painful moments for sure because you're so wrapped up in like what was like a really good thing for you for a long time, you know? Um, but I like have felt those moments where I'm like, it's going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like I'm, it's like, I can continue to like discover what works for me and, um, I have time to figure it out. And I, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel as life or death after a while. You know, and it's so interesting that you bring that up because I love the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. And I have had so many experiences that, you know, are so near and dear to my heart. Like I loved growing up in young men's, uh-huh. I love seminary. I love BYU. I love my mission. But as I'm deconstructing all this trauma that has built up and that I've just compartmentalized, uh-huh. I do question my future relationship with the church. Mm. Yeah. Like what it'll what really, look like. For the most part, I it's not that I've defended the church, mm-hmm. but I have not left all the way. Yeah. Like, am I active? Not yeah. really. I mean, I do go to church every once in a while, but I'm not that active. But that that was my community growing up. That Absolutely. was my entire life. And then yeah. just, in a way, putting it in a corner in, in my mind uh-huh. and just saying, it's there and I love it. And it can be, it's always been a comfort to me. But as I'm growing and just facing all these experiences that I've had and saying, you know what, maybe this, I should just stop painting this in like this nice light and face it for what it actually is. Mm -hmm. It really does make me question like where my relationship with the church will be. And I'm not angry. I'm not bitter, but it makes me really question, do I even belong? Yeah. Mm. And that's hard. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a contrast because, like, yeah, again, I have, like, all these wonderful memories with church. Like, I loved growing up in the church and my community and, like, the things I was learning and the spirit I felt. And, like, my mission was, like, hard and had some tra- trauma in it, too. Yeah. But um, but still, there were, like, some amazing moments and BYU was incredible, you know, and, like, mm-hmm. all these things. And even to this day, like, I still have, regularly have, like, really wonderful experiences at church and feel really good. 
But then there's like all these hard things that like you can't ignore. Um, especially when it has to do with like oppression of others or whatnot. And so it's so painful <laughs> when there's that contrast, you know what I mean? And like, maybe it doesn't need to be like resolved or whatnot. Maybe it just needs, maybe I just need to like sit in it. But I also think about like my future children, if I have them, like what I want for them. Mm. And like, part of me really wants that sort of upbringing I had, you know, it was like so beautiful in so many ways, but I also want them to be able to have better boundaries and like, mm-hmm just have these things that I didn't necessarily have. Yeah. Um, you don't want them to go through the same thing that you went through. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I want them to just be able to feel like they are allowed to be who they want and need to be, you know, and yeah. that they can make choices and it's not life or death, the choices they make, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things that I would want to do differently. And I'm like, you know, could the church provide that to my kids or would I be doing like damage control every Sunday after they go to like a Ooh. young women's lesson? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, gosh. So yeah, that's tricky to think about, but hopefully I can find a space for both and yeah, well, you've got time to figure it out. No, but you said something really interesting. You said yeah. growing up, like setting boundaries. Yeah. And part of me is like, oh my gosh, we did not have any boundaries growing up. Yeah. It was like, oh, you have this calling. Uh-huh. I didn't know I could turn down a calling till uh-huh. I was like maybe 25. Mm-hmm. Or like, hey, like going back to the whole, this this person is called of God. Yeah. Trust whatever they said. I remember one time I went up to a bishop at BYU because I was really struggling. Like I had just gone back from my mission and I went for a blessing. Mm-hmm. I legit went for a blessing. I'm like, hey, bishop, can I have a blessing? And of course he's going to want to dig in. Mm. And I said, well, you know, I had kind of like a tough mission i'm having a hard time adjusting yeah i just need your counsel i just need god's counsel yeah but here's the thing he didn't want to give me a blessing oh yeah but he told me go on two dates a week and you'll be better oh yeah and that to me i was just like okay well if my bishop says it then it must be true. then i gotta do it yeah <laughs> yeah like, there were no boundaries that we we're like uh-huh. not allowed to do that critical thinking and what do these combined experiences do uh-huh they cause trauma. Yeah. And maybe a little bit here, a little bit there, but eventually it piles up. Uh-huh. And what do we see later on? We see people just angrily storm out or... Yeah. Yeah. And it be feels... submissive sheep. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, so we're having Jennifer Finlayson Fife on the podcast in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. She's the LDS sex therapist. And I'm taking a course of hers right now. It's called The Art of Desire. And it's super good because it's just, addre- like, the first few, like, sections of it has just, have just been addressing, like, desire and how women, often, like, women in the church aren't great about, like, being in touch with their desires mm-hmm. uh, because we are, like, conditioned to be, like, okay, if so-and-so needs help, like, you go help, you know, which is, like, really awesome, um, awesome way to be, like, raised, but, like, if there's lack, lack of boundaries, that's an issue. So in the course, she, like, showed us this video from the Mormon channel that came out in, like, 2014, so pretty recently. And it's, like, a mom, and she's, like, being asked to do all these things throughout the day, or she's, like, signed up to do all these things, like, bring someone a meal. A neighbor drops by and asks her to babysit last minute, and, like, all these things are, like, her kids are, like, not happy with what she cooks, so she cooks something else. Anyway, and, and at the end of the video, it was, like, President Hinckley saying like you never know like the impact of all the good you do so it's like a very uplifting message i remember that video yeah did i tell you about this anyway yes and but then um dr finlayson fife was like 
okay, like, there's, there's some good things here, but also, like, how was this woman feeling at the end of the... Oh, and also <laughs> what happened in the video is that, like, she was supposed to go out with a cousin or a friend or something, and she wasn't able to because she had, like, done all this, been doing all this other stuff for people all day. Um, and she was like, okay, how is she feeling? And we are like, probably a little resentful, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and when I was watching that video, maybe back, you know, if I'd watched it a few years ago, I'd have been like, oh, these are, like, really noble, good things. But watching it this time, I was like, this woman doesn't have any boundaries. Like, she's, let it, she's like, making new food for her kids and babysitting someone at the, on the drop of a hat. Like, yes. yeah. So, anyway, it was just really eye-opening to be like, oh, this is, like, I think the point of the course is to then link it to, like, our sexuality. Like, a lot of women like me have, like, very repressed sexuality. Like, just zero desire for it. Because, again, it feels like a duty or something we got to do for our husbands or whatever. <laughs> and really? so, like, yeah. And so... We're just, like, not conditioned to be, like, yeah, I'm, like, owning my desires. This is what I want for myself. Um, Yeah, we're just conditioned to serve others, which is good. Like, service is awesome, but it's, like, finding times and places for it that makes sense for everyone involved. You know, that's not just, like, enabling your children or whatever. So, yeah, it's just been really interesting. Um, and I'm and, excited to have her on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as we mentioned earlier, setting those boundaries. Yeah. Lindsay, I totally remember that that video that you were talking about. Yeah. And I remember at the end of that video, I remember thinking, I feel so sorry for her. <laughs> like yeah. She didn't, she didn't get to hang out with her cousin. Yeah. Which she was looking forward to all day, but then all these things came up. Yeah. And then there's that one scene in the video where she's, I think she's comforting like her sister or, or a sibling. Yeah. And her siblings complain about like something at work. And then the lady tries to like say something, but then the sister interjects and she like continues complaining. And so yeah. the lady is like, okay, like, you know, whatever. And she like listens to her sibling complain. And, like, I remember thinking, that's not right. Like, yeah. she she's not having a great day either, but she's taking this time out of her day to listen to you complain. Uh-huh. The least you can do is give her some time. Yeah. So, yeah, like, they're, 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 that video is, it is problematic. There are some problematic yeah. things in that video. Yeah, yeah. where it would have been easy. I mean, this woman definitely could have said, okay, uh, can we talk about my thing for a bit, a minute? You know, yeah. like there's easy ways to be like, okay, let's have my needs met too. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then having so, this video distributed worldwide for yeah. all the members of the church to see, like what kind of yeah. message are you? Especially women. It's not like a man's yeah. doing all this stuff. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. So. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. Because, because the woman's at home. She's the one yeah. who's at home taking care of the family. That That's the ideal woman in the yeah, church. She's Christ yeah. like their saints anyway. And so, yeah, yeah, there's just, yeah, that's that was less uh-huh. than 10 years ago. Yeah, and again, the message is beautiful. Like, you don't know all the good that you do. But, yeah, and we for sure can take those opportunities. Yeah. But also, it's finding the, that balance and those boundaries. Well, how yeah. do you change that? How yeah. do you change that when, is that when that's the propaganda that's been sent out? Yeah. But it also goes back to what we are told our entire lives. Like, mm-hmm. consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. And to the work, to the to people. To the world, to the people. Yeah. But also, you sacrifice everything and give your all. Because I can tell you that serving others is great but when your own batteries are depleted uh-huh. and it doesn't stop there you are made to feel in a way as okay you're depleted get out and work even harder and that will fill you up mm-hmm. and then yeah. you just keep on giving 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 till you break mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of messages like that for sure and that that takes years to undo yeah like, it's your, that's how we are programmed to think and uh-huh. it's not do I necessarily think it's a bad thing? I mean, if we think about it critically, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. because that's how we're programmed. That's how we're told that if like if you want 
to be perfect, be, and then we get all these conflicting messages of like, you don't have to be perfect, but you should mm-hmm. try. It's like, okay, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Right. And I can never, that's why you hear all these things of people breaking and leaving because they can't take it anymore. And that uh-huh. doesn't stop when they leave. Like that is their personality for years and years and years and years. And it goes back to the messages that we get, even though they may seem uh-huh. harmless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Collectively add up and take years, if not de- decades to uh-huh. undo. Yeah. It's a harmless message, but if you hear it mm-hmm. daily, weekly, monthly, mm-hmm. yearly for the majority of your life, then it becomes a, a very harmful message. And if I may, the family proclamation to the world. Mm-hmm. That's a hard one, yeah. Take the little gay kid that is seven years old, uh-huh. then goes to middle school, starts hearing all these messages of like, oh, you know, like the family proclamation, proclamation, and then... Yeah, like gender is an essential characteristic. Gender is an essential characteristic. Or marriages between a man, a man and a woman. And a woman. Yeah. And then he goes up and then he's trying to repress. Uh-huh. But then he keeps on, and then he goes into young men's. Yeah. Or she goes into young women's and we're, we're, we hear, oh, sodomized, they were going to bring down the destruction of societies. Uh-huh. It goes, goes to, goes on a mission, gets even more, gets even worse, gets even worse. Yeah. A lot of these kids end up killing themselves mm-hmm. because they have this accumulation of these thoughts that, of these messages telling them, you shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. You're an abomination. What does that do? Trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unless that trauma is deconstructed yeah it's gonna affect them for the rest of their Mm -hmm. lives yeah no it's true that suicide rates are alarmingly high for lgbtq teens in the church so that's like a problem that absolutely is not getting like the attention it needs yeah well the stats are in yeah (laughs) yeah going back to um callings and people who like run themselves ragged giving their all and Mm -hmm. you know devoting themselves to the work there are ward members that I know and have seen, like growing up and ward members now, mm-hmm. where I I see them and I look at them and they're, you know, they're doing a phenomenal job, you know. Yeah, they're their incredible. Yeah. yeah, being an incredible member of the church. And there are days where I like worry mm-hmm. that they're going to get burnt out. Mm-hmm. I remember in my family ward, there was this older couple, sweetest, oldest, sweet old couple in our family ward. Yeah. And my parents used to go... And um, back then, they were visiting teachers or the home teachers back then. Uh-huh. And <laughs> they were talking to my parents and they, they basically said like, yeah, like we, we, we just stopped going to church because we we're just sick and t- we we're just sick and tired of like of all the callings that we got. Uh-huh. And so they, they said like, quote unquote, they retired uh-huh. from the church. What? Yeah. Just because they felt like they dedicated their lives they dedicated their their time and mm-hmm. their, to their callings and they reached the point in their lives where they're like you know what this we're we're done like mm-hmm. we're done with these callings we're done with you know what mm-hmm. and so they you know retired from the church mm-hmm. and i worry about Mm-hmm. how often that happens or like seeing yeah. people that do give it their all and then worrying about if are they going to like retire from the mm-hmm. church as well hmm. yeah I've definitely seen in having callings where I felt like God was really helping me you mm-hmm. know what I mean making it easier so I think that's the case but I've also gotten to a point where I, where I was like yeah the bishop's not going to like release me until I, unless I say something and I'm ready I'm ready for something else, and I recognize others can step in and do this, too. Like, yeah. I'm not the only person who can do this calling. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's important. I think 
I mean, when we talk about, like, kind of combating these messages we've received and being able to, like, set better boundaries, Mm -hmm. I think one thing to recognize, which the church would teach as well, is that you have to, like, fill your own reservoir before you can help others. And so I think that's really important to recognize is, like, if you're just giving, 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 then you're not actually giving very well you know what i mean Mm -hmm. or maybe you're enabling others who need to like learn some self-reliance or whatever yeah but like yeah we have to take care of ourselves um and then we can better give in areas that make sense for our you know our sphere of influence or whatever Mm -hmm. i agree edgar i think you mentioned this earlier about um turning down callings just recently because i was taught my whole life if if you are extended a calling you accept it and then Uh you fulfill it to the best of your ability just recently I turned down a calling that was offered to me uh-huh. because at that time I still like I still very much believe that it was a good thing that I turned down that calling because it was not a calling that was suited for me spiritually at the time uh-huh. and I remember like turning that turning the calling down and a part of me kind of felt guilty for turning it down uh-huh. even though I knew yeah that calling wasn't going to serve me or do me any good yeah or others or whatever yeah Yeah, exactly and i remember like saying you need someone who is going to like fulfill this calling in the way that it's going to be fulfilled that person is not me like at at this time of my life yeah yeah and you had the better understanding of yourself than the person calling you did yeah Yeah, exactly and And so capacity Yeah. yeah and so just overcoming that obstacle of no you don't always have to accept everything that you're given or you don't always have to accept everything that's asked of you yeah that that was kind of and you know i'm 34 mm-hmm. and that was my first time turning down to calling and it's kind of like it's a big deal but it's also kind of like i shouldn't have to be put in a position that i have to do that yeah but here's a question for you what did the person extending the calling say <laughs> basically long story short basically they felt like i was being underutilized in the ward and so they wanted to, like, utilize me more, which I totally understand and I totally support that. But that particular calling that was asked of me was not was not going to be beneficial for me at that time. Because the reason I ask that is because I feel like there is a lot of bishop roulette in which you mm-hmm. can say your concerns to some bishops and like, okay, I understand, versus others maybe. But, you know, the mm-hmm. Lord inspired me to call Mm-hmm. you yeah so what does that say what is yeah. that telling people it's like um that the lord really wants me to take this calling and if i don't like i'm gonna get struck down by lightning yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah and yeah. a lot of guilt that comes from yes that. For sure. and luckily the person who was extending the calling to me was like very gracious about it. Like, oh no like i understand like thank you for you know for being truthful and honest so like that was it was a positive experience for me uh-huh. even though i still felt that twinge of guilt of uh-huh. turning it down even though I knew it wasn't going to be beneficial to me. But yeah, there's just that. So that's also kind of like a trauma trying to like not feel guilty for wanting to take care of yourself first. Well, and also I think we're pretty conditioned to um, feel bad about saying no. Like I know myself, I'm I'm pretty like, uh, (laughs) like (laughs) conflict averse. Like I don't like uncomfortable conversations or feelings. Mm -hmm. And so if I can avoid them at all costs, I will. But, like, honestly, that's, like, a healthy conversation for someone to be like, hey, can you help in this way? And you being like, uh, I really can't right now. I'm sorry. You know? Like, that's totally normal and fine to be able to do, but it feels so uncomfortable to us to yeah. be like, sorry, I can't. You yeah. know? 
Yeah, where we don't have to have excuses for it. Even we just say no to things. You, know? you know. But you know what yeah. the worst part is about that when you when you try to say, you know what, it's not for me. Yeah. What would Nephi do? Yeah. What would, what would Jesus what do? What would Jesus do? <laughs> but that's yeah. The, yes. oh, I am not like a god yet, so you know, or yeah. if I ever get yeah. there. But. Yeah. So I know you're not perfect, but you you are striving for perfection. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a really contrasting message because we get a lot of like, okay, when Jesus says "be therefore perfect," he means whole and complete. Mm. But then, like all the other messages we're getting in general conference or whatever, are like, be. Uh, you don't have to be perfect, but you need to be really close. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's kind of what you're getting, which is, like, not a thing. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, if you're going to be perfect, try to be 95, 90% perfect. Yeah. And that's not doable. Yeah, that's not, like, what we're striving for. We're just striving to be, like, the savior, and, and that involves, like, repentance and forgiveness. You know what I mean? Yes. And, like, just doing a little better next time. So For people that yeah. sin every day and make mistakes every day, yeah. 90%, 85% perfection is... A lot to expect. Yeah, what does that even mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, especially if we're just trying again next time. That's yeah. what life is about, is trying. So Yeah, we all yeah. need therapy. I'm like, we <laughs> no, all need yeah, therapy. I, think, I actually think therapy is, like, a great suggestion when we think about, like, how can we combat some of these messages we've mm-hmm. received. Like, I've definitely worked through therapy a lot in terms of, like, trying to make decisions for my life and not feeling like there was one path for me or God had, like, very, something very specific in mind. Like, I've had to... Um, through therapy just be like okay I have a lot of options and I'm a good decision maker I have a history of making great decisions and that's something my therapist has said like it seems like you have a history of making great decisions mm-hmm. I feel like you can be trusted to make more great decisions for your life so you should trust yourself you know yeah. yeah so working through some of those things has been really helpful in therapy there's so much you can work through definitely like setting boundaries is something a therapist can help with a lot yeah. Set, yeah. Setting boundaries, but also like holding true to those boundaries because it might uh-huh. be so easy for somebody to say, oh, you know, you're just being selfish. Yeah, exactly. Actually. Yeah. And then they don't have the good boundaries. Yeah. Because they're not respecting your mm-hmm. yours. Yeah. For yeah. sure. And I feel like this yes man culture that we have all seen. Uh-huh. Yes. Did it teach us how to make, te- make boundaries and stick to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have hope for maybe the next generation. I see my siblings, at least, and how they raise their little ones, uh, how they talk to them about boundaries and things like that. Like, okay, you don't have to hug that person, you know? And, like, honoring their autonomy or their agency and being like, okay, you don't want to do that? Let's talk about it. Or You know what I mean? Versus, like, I'm the adult, you know, I'm in charge. Yeah. So I think people, I think the trends are getting healthier in terms of, like, how we're parenting and things like that. But Oh, if you don't mind me saying this, so I was... I was on on Instagram and this one lady popped up on my reels and she said the reason I left the Mormon church. Mm-hmm. And her perspective was very interesting. She said it wasn't for church history. It wasn't for Joseph Smith. It wasn't for the LGBTQ reasons. She said, I realized how unhealthy the messaging was that we were getting. God loves you if you will be blessed if, mm, the if mm. is there for sure. The if. Yeah. And we are, again, conditioned to all that. Why can't God just love us as we are? Yeah. Mm. Why doesn't, why can we be told, God will bless you? Yeah. Why does it always have to be if, if, if? Because then that makes us feel like we are not enough. Yeah. Or that criteria that you have to fulfill. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, you can make it to the celestial kingdom, but first you got to do 
this, 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 and this. Yeah, and we've all seen the results of like trying for that like perfectionism, that toxic profession, perfectionism. Like it takes a toll on our mental health. <laughs> like, oh, yes. yeah, it's like not, it's not doable. Yeah. You know, nobody's perfect. We're judge more judgmental of others. Like, yeah, it's yeah, it's not ideal. In order for you yeah. to be a good member of the church, Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, you have to serve a mission, even though it might cause you PTSD or trauma. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you and that's have something to we don't talk about mm-hmm. enough. Yes. So you yeah. have to like get married, even though maybe you might get divorced a year or two later. Yeah, or maybe you're not even attracted to the other gender. Yes. Yeah. You have to fulfill all these callings, even though you might not like it or it might not be suitable for you, but you got to fulfill them. Or it might them. take a, like extreme toll on your family or something. Yes, yeah. it'll, t- it'll, eat up, it'll take up your time toll. Yeah, yeah. so like, there's all these things that is expected of us, but really mm-hmm. it causes us a lot of harm. Yeah. And it's supposed to be beneficial especially for us yeah 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 so how do we make it like more for us yeah yeah we make it real we acknowledge for we acknowledge it for what it is Uh we call out our leaders we hold the church accountable and we take care of ourselves because i mean like we've talked a lot about a lot of things so i talked about like some of my trauma with leadership some of my trauma with my mission some of my trauma with the messaging we've talked about like your traumas Uh as well and i'm not saying i'm a victim here Mm -hmm. but in a way we all are victims, and unless we uh-huh. stand up and seek the help that we actually need and realize, okay, our ecclesiastical leaders may not know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they may even be, excuse me for them, they may even be pricks at times. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if we start acknowledging that and start building a safe space that we can be real people, yeah, we can start building bridges, like yeah. true bridges. And yeah. Like I said, I... I feel like I've just been here and complained a lot. I really hope that's not what the message that I got across. No, even super positive. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, this can be a very toxic environment. And yeah. the people that leave the church talk about how it's a toxic environment. The people that are in the church downplay it. What have we met in the middle? Yeah, what if we just talked about it? Talked about it yeah. openly and made it available. Like, What if, I don't know, like, what if we were able to get... More help from LDS family services. Uh-huh. Because a lot of this, it's caused by LDS. The LDS yeah. Family yeah. Yes. But also made it so that it's safe to talk about. Uh-huh. Instead of being like, oh, you know, like you disagree with the bishop. Or, oh, mm-hmm. you didn't go on a mission. Or, oh, you disagree with this part of church doctrine. It's like, no. Yeah. yeah. We are allowed to be critical thinkers. And we, at the end of the day, we want, what, we want what's best for us for our community, because this, we are a very community-oriented mm-hmm. religion. And unless we fight for each other and stop tearing each other down and saying, oh, you're just playing victim, you're just playing victim, but mm-hmm. listening and empathizing and sympathizing. Yeah. Fulfilling those baptismal covenants we made. Fulfilling those baptismal yeah. covenants. That's how we build Zion, not yeah. just downplaying yeah. the imperfections of our faith. Yeah, or shutting out the discontent or the... Mm-hmm. the yeah, shutting out the... What's the word I'm looking like for? The negative or... Yeah, uh, shutting out the things that make us uncomfortable. Yeah. Like wake up and smelling the roses, but knowing that some of those roses are very rancid. <laughs> <laughs> like that would help a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the first step in change is like acknowledging that something... As uncomfortable as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I like that. All plants look pleasing, but some of them are poisonous. Ooh. <laughs> oh. And some of them have thorns. And some yeah. of them have thorns, yet. 
Oh, man, we didn't get to hear much about uh, Oliver's experiences. Oh. Um, do tell. Do, do tell. Do tell. Let me share my traumas. <laughs> no, so some of my traumas I can are similar to Edgar's where, you know, I too, and you too, Lindsay, we all talked about how we all experienced mission trauma. Yeah. I too had a mission president who was very much all about the numbers. Like, yeah. you're a good missionary if you baptize mm-hmm. a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. And that was drilled into us all the time. Yeah. And even before I started my mission, I have a little bit of trauma with the bishop who was that I came out to when I told him that I had same-sex attraction. Uh-huh. And then there was that year delay of going to serve a mission and then going to see a counselor at LDS Family <laughs> Services, having that counselor tell me that I had same-sex attraction and then talking to him and working it out with him. And then it almost felt like when I was ready to go, and I'm not saying that this is like what he said, but in my mind it kind of felt like my bishop was thinking, okay, good. I think he's been cured now. Oh. We can send him on his mission. Mm. And I don't, he, I don't think that was his thinking, but I feel like, I, from my point of view, I kind of feel like that what, what was going on. Uh-huh. So, because, like, you know, back then... You couldn't serve a mission if you had same-sex attraction, or you couldn't serve a mission if you were gay. Oh, okay. And so it was almost kind of like, yeah, we'll we'll have you resolve it, and then once you resolved it, you can go serve a mission. Yeah. Which I think in this, in my case, that that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So then I go and serve a mission, and then I think I talked about this before in uh, previous podcast episodes, but you know, luckily I was able to see a therapist during my mission, and I talked to her about my same-sex attraction and. You know, I was able to work. I was able to work through it. Um, still, really much had you know positive experiences from mm-hmm. serving the mission. Loved the people. Loved the food. Wonderful food. <laughs> Love uh, it. Yeah, made some made some great friends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you have companions that are irritating or crazy. You meet crazy people. Edgar mentioned getting assaulted or getting stood up, uh-huh. get, getting robbed. While you're on your mission. Oh, yeah. So um, many crazy Yeah, stories. like, you just... I I witnessed a shootout during my mission. So, oh my like, gosh. you just you just see things during your mission mm-hmm. that, like, impact you. Absolutely. Yeah. And There's so many stressors on the mission. Yes. It's such a crazy environment. Like... Yeah. And like we mentioned earlier, back then, conversations or um, communication was limited. Uh-huh. And luckily, they've... They've loosened up those restrictions, so like now missionaries nowadays can email their families weekly, FaceTime, or FaceTime mm-hmm. call even. That would have saved me, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. Mm-hmm. Back then we could call twice. twice. It was a year. Mother's Day, yeah, yeah. twice a year. Mother's Christmas. Day and Christmas, yeah. yeah. So for luckily, minutes. Yes. Oh, was yours for thirty? Oh my gosh. No, my mission presser was lenient, but I've heard about. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe an hour, maybe thirty. I think mine was an hour, if yeah. I remember correctly, but. It's such anyway. an isolating time. It is, yeah. Yeah, you're you're assigned a companion you don't choose, and you yeah. spend twenty four seven with them. Yeah. That was my experience. Like we didn't even live around other missionaries. Like there were like ten sisters in my mission, so we didn't even like. And our president, mission president, was pretty strict about like elder sister relationships. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So we didn't even like hang out with other missionaries on preparation days or whatnot. So oh yeah, no, it was super isolating. Same. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't have like we couldn't have the districts get together because I think uh-huh. some missions had like district parties. We weren't allowed to play sports. Yeah, it was yeah. just very a very strict mission. Yeah, um, that's hard. That yeah. takes a toll. Yes. 
And um, especially when people are like yelling at you or not, <laughs> yeah, not happy to see you day yelling in and you day out. In a different language that you're yeah. trying to learn, that you're <laughs> yeah. trying to share the gospel in. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So even though my mission was a wonderful experience, yes, it was hard and some of it was traumatizing. Uh-huh. Um, even like uh, going back to the church, the young men's for me was enjoyable but mm-hmm. that was also kind of traumatic too because mm-hmm. being a young closeted teenager and you go to these weekly activities and you're hanging out with these other boys your age but you don't necessarily um have the same likes mm-hmm. you don't like really have a lot in common yeah but you're supposed to be buddies with these people yeah and that that was that was never mm-hmm. the case for me i did make friends with some of them mm-hmm. but a lot of them were friends with each other. Yeah, there's maybe a feeling of outs- being an outsider. Yeah, like being an outsider, feeling like an outcast, not having the same relationships that they've had because, you know, they have a lot of things in common, which I didn't necessarily have with them. Yeah. So having, like, you know, drama with that. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, just... Uh-huh. I yeah. do have a question for you. Go ahead. You kept on saying same-sex attracted, same-sex attracted. Mm-hmm. How long and how hard was it to say, I am a gay man? Oh, that was 2020 during the pandemic. Really? Yeah. Yes. And I think, again, I mentioned this in my in my episode. So but you're in your 30s. Yes. Yeah. But I remember it was hard for me to say the word gay. And I remember thinking, if I say the word gay, that means all hope for me for getting married, for having a family, for having kids goes out the window. Yeah. But why is that? I want to hear your story because I had a similar story, but I want to hear you. Mm-hmm. Did you not listen to my episode, Edgar? I di- I did I did, but have you here in the flesh? So yeah, yeah. I don't know if we went into <laughs> it that have, much, honestly. Yeah, the source. But, but bring it back to the trauma that led you mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. took you years to say this three-letter word. Yeah, that completely changed your life. That was your identity. Yeah, and yeah. You, and you're absolutely right. There is trauma behind that because in the church. You are supposed to get married, have a family, have kids. That's what you're supposed to do. That's like, that's what, that's what is expected of you. In my reasoning, okay, yeah, I could have same-sex attraction, but that doesn't mean I still can't get married and have kids of my own. So in my mind, if I use the term same-sex attraction, there's still that glimmer or that glimpse of hope. But where does that term come from? That, that that that's a that's a church term as far mm-hmm. as I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The same sex attraction. I don't think any other religions use it or I maybe they do, but yeah, that mm-hmm. was something from Interesting. from but, LDS services. Yeah. But remember it's always, oh, so and so struggles with same sex attraction. Yeah. They yes. struggle and you hear this and it compounds like, Oh, it's a little struggle, it's a little struggle. Suppressing your identity. Yeah. You're not able to live authentically because uh-huh. The messaging that you get is telling you, you it's a struggle. It's okay. Yeah. Just don't it's say just the a trial. Yeah, yeah, it's a trial. And anyone mm-hmm. can overcome trials, yeah. Yeah. Whereas now I'm like, yeah, I'm a happy gay man and I don't rev- I don't view my sexuality as a trial anymore. Yeah, it's a God given trait. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a part of me, but it's not, you know, the whole of me. Yeah. But yeah. How how many blood how much blood, sweat, and tears? Did it take for you to get to that point? Oh gosh, a long time. And how how many years did I hide it for? How many years did I deny it for? So yeah, that that alone 
swapping same-sex attraction for gay, that alone was, you know, traumatic right there for me. And it's a lot of deconstructing that you had to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot. I can't, I can't imagine. Like, I think about my own stuff. My own trauma. Yeah. Based around, you know, being single for a long time or... Well, you talked about your your health issues too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't religious based, but honestly, like on my mission, I was like uh, halfway through, I got like severely depressed and went home early. That was very hard. So it I is, think there's a lot church of... church based though. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah for it sure. It, it was very much like based in perfectionism. I mean, it was seasonal depression for sure, but yeah, absolutely. That was a big one. But I think about just like being single... Again, a lot of themes of, like, not fitting the mold, like, coming home early from my mission or being single into my 30s. It was very, yeah, for sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then just, yeah, feeling like I'm not, like, living up to the life I'm supposed to live or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And now dating someone who's not a member of the church. You know what I mean? Like, all these things, like, and there's so much weight to it. So I can only imagine, like, if it's something that's, like, such a core part of you, not just like an you know this like side thing in your life but, being but, so hard but also okay i'm gonna stop you right there <laughs> i'm gonna stop you right there because as you're saying these things yeah my heart is hurting for you because you're saying this is all that i had to do and those are some very hard things yeah and you're saying but it's not as bad as what you had to go through we don't know yeah your, your pain is still valid like and yeah. that's another thing that we do we, we downplay our our own struggles but no, why are we downplaying? Like, yeah. we should just be able to say this. And it goes back to suck it up and go serve. Uh-huh. No, we are real people. And mm-hmm. what I go through is not what you go through. Right. But what you go through could be just as difficult for you as what I'm going through is for me. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Trauma is trauma. Trauma is trauma. distressing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So don't downplay, Lindsay. No, no. I, yeah, I'm just trying to like validate you <laughs> yeah. guys too. We want to which, validate each which other. Which we appreciate. <laughs> I love that. I yeah. Love that. Yeah, yeah love that. for sure. No, oh there's been gosh. some hard things. Yeah. And some of them are religious based and that's really hard for sure. Yeah. I think about now just like my repressed sexuality and how hard that's going to be to like get yes. to a better place with that oh, eventually 100%. and we talked yeah. about that in that episode with chelsea where Absolutely. yeah you're taught your whole life not to have sex and then as soon as you get married have all the sex you want yeah like, and that's I'm not like, traumatic i yeah. still see sex as bad like that's kind of a problem for a 36 year old you know what i mean yeah. so yeah that's oh, hard God. that was gonna be very hard yeah yeah i'm getting a lot of help with it <laughs> yeah because i think it's something that definitely is gonna be an issue for mm-hmm. me ongoing so yeah and that's, I mean, that's a product of being single, too, because if you get married in your early 20s or whatever, you don't have all these years of built-up repression yeah. like you do in your 30s mm-hmm. or later. So it's a lot to deal with, and, it, yeah, it's um, something a lot of our listeners are also grappling with in their own ways, and, yeah, yeah everyone's trying, and, yeah. Yeah, they can relate to it because, yeah, we're... We don't fit that mold. We haven't fit that mold yet of finding someone uh-huh. and being married and having a family. Yeah, yeah, where that's like the ideal. That's something that's been talked about, you know, from a very young age and young omens or whatnot is that mm-hmm. ideal. So it's a lot when it's not your reality or not what you choose even. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. But again, because we are the way we are, Oliver, we are going to bring down the... We're going to bring upon us the downfall of civilization, as I heard so many times in Sunday school. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Whereas who's actually bringing down the downfall of civilization are those who are, like, shooting up gay nightclubs. Yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. And that's... That just, like, yeah. It's so 
it's such a big problem. Mm. And also, Justine, like, I, even though I have talked a lot about the issues I've had, I just want to let you guys know that I am in a very good place. Yeah. I am in a very good place. Like I said, I've gotten help for a lot of these things. I've deconstructed and I am living a happy, fulfilling life right now. My biggest stress is flight school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But step number one to healing is acknowledging. Yeah. Yeah. And then seeking the help that you need. Some issues you may be able to deal with on your own or just talking to like a really good friend. Absolutely. Yeah. Other things may need professional help and that is okay. There is no shame in that. Uh-huh. That goes for all of us. And whatever journey somebody decides to go on for their healing, it's going to be at the benefit. Yeah. To their benefit and not to their detriment as uh-huh. well. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you, Edgar. Even though we did name off all these different examples of religious trauma, I still very much you know love mm-hmm. the religion. I, and it's, it has played a huge impact and it has played a huge role in my life. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are some aspects of the religion that I don't agree with, and who's who's to say, you know... But anyway, what I'm trying to say is, even if I do find someone that I want to, that I want to be with and be married to, I still value the LDS standards as, mm-hmm. um, as something good and positive in my life. Mm-hmm. Oh, but also, I will also say something add-on, especially mm-hmm. to other LGBTQ listeners that may be... Tuning in. Yes. I'm on the same boat as you are. Like, I still hold a lot of those values. So, like, when people ask me, like, what are you looking for in a relationship? I'm like, at the end of the day, I don't say immediately. But, you know, at at the end of the day, I would like to get married. I would like to have kids. I would like to have a monogamous relationship. Mm -hmm. That's everything the church wants you to have, too. Yeah. Yes. And you know what? The, the, The thing that I've run into is that I'm told, oh, well, you know, I was told... Oh, that's still the Mormon in you. And I was like, you know what? If that's the Mormon in me, that Mormon can stay. Yeah. (laughs) Because those are my values. Yeah. And again, even though these are quote unquote Mormon values, these Mm -hmm. are values for a lot of other people that are not in our religion and have never come close to our religion. So I'm going to hold on to those values and I'm not going to, and I'm going to set boundaries and say, okay, if that's not what you want, then we're probably not a good match. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, at least here in Vegas, you know, we grew up with a lot of other LDS kids. Mm-hmm. So we probably were never ridiculed. But mm-hmm. yeah, I actually did have a funny experience in high school, like in high school, you know, so I am Latino and Mexican. And in high school, it was always like, oh, wait, you're a Mormon. Are you supposed to be white for that? Yeah. <laughs> Even though I, I am pretty white looking, like I have brown hair, green eyes. Yeah, you're kind of white passing. Huh? Yeah. That Those little experiences here and there taught me to say, you know what? I am a Mormon. Like, what's the one primary rhyme has like dare to be a mormon dare oh. to stand alone dare to have a purpose firm dare to make it known something it's yeah been a hot yeah minute. yeah but that that <laughs> having that like taught me to stand up for what i believe yeah and that foundation is mm-hmm. teaching me to stand up now to be true to uh-huh. myself and my values mm. so yeah we have talked a lot about trauma caused by religion uh-huh. by our religion because we're all we're yeah yeah the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints but I also learned so many good things. Yeah. And I'm not downplaying the trauma that I had, but like a lot of the values that are were instilled in me and a lot of my happiest memories happened at the happened at the stake center. Mm-hmm. Happened at BYU, happened on my mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Activities, dances, Activities, camp dances, outs. campouts. So those are some of my happiest memories. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm 
choosing to remember the good, uh-huh. dealing with the bad, and trying to be a happy, productive human, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, a son of God as well. Yeah. I, I like that. that. Choosing the good and dealing with the bad. I like that mm-hmm. a lot. Remembering the good. Remembering, Remembering the, the good, good. Remembering and good. dealing I like that. with the bad. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that's really helpful in faith deconstruction or mm-hmm. reconstruction or whatever. Is to faith expansion, expansion. (laughs) yeah, which I kind of like because like there's so much more to explore and take in. But is to focus on values. Mm -hmm. Like, what are your values? What values are tied to you know church values you got from church, Mm -hmm. and how can you like bring in other things? So like, for example, if one of your values is generosity, like tithe, you know tithing, we like practice generosity all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. so do you want to keep that? Do you want to, like, be generous in different ways? You know what I mean? Just, like, find, like, focusing on those values is really important in terms of, like, figuring out, like, what kind of life you want to lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely in terms of, like, finding a partner that mm-hmm. you're compatible with is, like, focusing on your values there. So, yeah, I think that's really powerful. Yeah. You know, just try to be happy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, yeah. Obviously, I don't think God is up there, you know, wanting us to, like, I feel like God wants us to, to enjoy this, like, mortal probation we're in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I think about that with just, like... And, uh, and also, if I may, I'm sorry, yeah, you know, but this thought just came into my mind. Is that I feel like a lot of people are afraid of deconstructing because they are afraid of what the consequences might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such as they might say, oh, you know what, maybe the church isn't for me. And that is a very that's scary thing. so scary. Thing. So yes. scary. Especially if that's your whole life. That's your whole yeah. identity. Your whole and life. your family and everything. And your yeah. family and everything. But going back, and what you were saying, you said uh-huh. God wants us to be happy. You know, uh-huh. the Book of Mormon. And this is a scripture that I always go back to. Adam felt that men might be and men are that they might have joy. Yeah. And we're supposed to be happy in this life. And whether you choose to stay inside the church or outside of the church or whether you're one foot in, one foot out. One foot out mm-hmm. Figuring it out. Figuring nuanced. It out. Whatever. Nuanced. Yeah. Like, this is your life. Like, this is your one life. And you might as well uh-huh. make the best out of it. Obviously, don't harm anybody. Mm. Don't harm yourself. <laughs> yeah. Take care of it. Take care of it. Yeah. And enjoy it. Like, Nourish it. Yeah. Because we all know what it's like to be miserable. I'd rather be happy in whatever way that looks like. Yeah. Sticking true to my values. And you know what? Maybe I'll choose to laugh every once in a while. That's okay too. <laughs> yeah. I have my faith in in my in my heavenly Father, in my Savior, and I know that they love me. Yeah. And that they they're there to help me. And. Mhm. Yeah, you'll be better. I'll be better. Yeah. 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 Because of it. Choose the left. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> every once in a while. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> I oh, love it. Man. This has been really good, really uplifting, I think, yeah. and really important. Start out kind of heavy, but here we are. Yeah, really here did. we are. I was yeah. like, I don't know. Should we cut that out? We're okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know, but I thought it was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that and being open with us. You're the yeah. best. Thank you. It's awesome to have you. I'm so glad this worked out this way. Yeah. It's been awesome. I do think that it's. Um, I don't use the ter- the word uh, miraculous, but maybe I do. But I do find it uplifting that even though this was a dark and heavy topic, we were still able to find the silver lining. Yeah. To find the good in it. I will say if you want to find signs and things. So we had uh, someone else planned for this week who canceled uh, or postponed. And 
I was like racking my brain trying to think of another topic we could do or someone we could bring on last minute and I like could not I mean Oliver yeah, was texting ne- me we neither could, of us could think of someone yeah and then Edgar <laughs> came up and I like I think it was meant to be like yeah, I think yeah. that's why I couldn't because usually I have tons of ideas you know me yeah. so yeah I think it was Edgar was meant to be this week so thank you <laughs> you know I have a very little brother big brother relationship with Oliver that I'm the little brother yeah and I was actually kind of joking be like hey I'll come and talk about my traumas and he was like okay and then here, and I here am. we are <laughs> Up and, on it. <laughs> and you did it with, with like with such dignity and with stride. Yeah, we really do appreciate that. Yeah, so oh, mature. I watched I the it. Crown. I'm dignified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the it's crown. a great show. It's a great show. 